0: Welcome to the Proletarian Contrarian, the podcast where we reevaluate bad films
1: through a leftist perspective. I'm Nick, and I'm Lewis,
0: and we're gonna keep you enraptured with our discussion today of the Keep. Oh,
1: I see what you did there. <laughs> Pretty good. <Yeah>. Pretty good. <laughs> that's that's the best joke I got for this entire episode. <laughs> <laughs> I, I probably won't do any better. Yeah. So this film is directed by Michael Mann, uh, well known for the film Heat and uh, his first film thief uh he made this film in 1983 this is actually his second film after Mm. his directorial debut with thief and uh it's uh it's unlike any of his other films i would say in terms of uh genre
0: yeah i haven't actually um seen too much of man's output but um based on what i know of it based on what you've told me and what i've read in the past um this, the keep is very different from his standard fare. It's a very, very much a fantasy, um, creepy, very atmospheric um, World War II period piece, um, which is a, a far cry from the uh, the gritty, um, gritty hard boiled crime dramas that he's known for.
1: Yeah, no, definitely, uh, it, especially right after his film Thief uh, with James kan, Uh mm. It's just, yeah, it's. I, I would love to know why he, uh, he made this film. <laughs> yeah. It's,
0: well, it's based off of, um, some kind of like pulpy sci-fi, um, entry in a series by this author F Paul Wilson, um, who really disliked this adaptation of the movie. He, he said it was like hard to follow or something. He said it was yeah. like, he, 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 he came hard. He came swinging for it hard when it, when it was released. Um, we're not exactly fans of this movie either but we it, it's not because it's hard to follow it was very it's a very simple story it's very easy to follow
1: yeah, that's one of the biggest criticisms of this film is that uh, the, the plot meanders and makes no sense, and uh, we we strongly disagree with that. Um, but before we get into that, uh, we'll kind of give you a synopsis of the film. So as Nick mentioned, it is a, a World War II period piece. It takes place mm-hmm. in uh, a small Romanian village in the Carpathian Mountains. Uh, a, a battalion of Wehrmacht soldiers uh, are are tasked with basically just holding up in this keep for no reason. Well, I think,
0: I think they have to guard the pass that the village is in the middle of that. That was the, that's the reason given.
1: Oh, okay. So yeah, it's like the D pass and they, okay. So they have to protect this pass. Uh, and, uh, yeah, crazy mystical shit happens. (laughs) Yeah.
0: That's basically it. I mean, um, the SS gets involved and they, they rope in this Jewish professor who has to translate ancient runes and stuff. And uh, we, we can get into all that later. Um, but one, one of the really interesting things about this movie's production um, was that apparently there there's a, an original cut of this movie, which is over twice the length of the theatrical cut. Uh, the theatrical cut is only 96 minutes long. Um, and that's the perfect length for it. I, I cannot imagine a, a version of this movie that's like over 200 minutes long. Um, yeah, sometimes sometimes being savaged on the editing floor is good, folks. Sometimes sometimes people need to be reined in. Sometimes directors need to be reined in and it does work out for the better.
1: Yeah, it's true. Michael Mann seems like one of those directors who needs to be reined in uh, very much mm-hmm. in the in the Ridley Scott way. Um, where yes, both
0: that's a good. That, that's a very good comparison. Well, thank you. <laughs>
1: It's where both the studio has to rein him in and then there's a certain uh, self-reflective editing that both those directors do um Mm -hmm. michael mann made uh numerous versions of his film ali about muhammad ali starring will smith uh and more recently his uh last film he made in i I believe 2015-2016 black hat uh starring thor um (laughs) chris hemsworth Uh, as a a programmer uh (laughs) (laughs) Uh, okay yeah he made numerous versions of of that film as well uh well
0: when when you say numerous versions do you mean he literally cut and released different editions of the same movie
1: yes for both of those films now uh black hats um re-edited versions uh at least one of them had been shown at a film festival i'm not so sure about ali but i know there Mm -hmm. were alternative versions perhaps on dvd and blu-ray
0: that's wild. That's like, he. I mean, George Lucas gets a lot of crap for doing that with the with the Star Wars special editions, mm-hmm. but like, Michael Mann's just flying under the radar here on that. I, I had no. I had no idea about that.
1: Yeah, I mean, most people point to Ridley Scott for for that usually. Yeah. Blade Runner yeah. has seven different editions. Uh, I think maybe that's hyperbolic, but it's, it's god. This, this shit is so
0: indulgent. These asshole direct. These asshole like old dude directors who are like. I need, I need to show you like every mood
1: that I was in when I was thinking about this movie. It's (laughs) God, fuck Hollywood. It's so so dumb. Yeah. It's really interesting. It's, it's, it comes out of like the, the, the new American, uh, new wave, uh, but it's, it's post that, however, you know, these directors Mm. are making films at the tail end of the new American new wave, uh, where directors were given, you know, more free reign, where Scorsese and Coppola and and people like that were able to make their, you know, make their mark. Um, so it's again where a studio comes back and has a little bit more say in in a movie, but I guess they they're able to show their, you know, directorial agency by just making five different versions of their films, some that never see the light of day.
0: Wow for the better, probably. For the better. Um, I guess, I guess in keeping with kind of this emerging, um, emerging beat that we do for each episode, we can, we can kind of at least throw our listeners a bone and be somewhat educational. Um, what is new wave cinema?
1: Sure. Yeah. So the American new wave, um, you know, a lot of people would say it starts somewhere in the late fifties, early sixties and goes through the seventies and a, uh, Bit into the 80s the first few years Uh, it starts with films like Bonnie and Clyde and it ends with most people would say that it ends with the film uh, Heaven's Gate uh, Mm. directed by the same director as Deer Hunter name escapes me right now But most people would say that that film uh, ushered in uh, more studio control because it was a major flop. And the director, you know, that's another film as well that has multiple versions because the studio and the director butted heads. But it was just an opening up of of cinemas, uh, the social mores that cinema was allowed to to represent on film. Uh, Sex and violence, you know, uh, were previously... Uh, banned to a certain extent uh, at least from the more gratuitous uh, because of the Hayes code and uh, and other um you know film review boards and then as those things were loosened and then just entirely disbanded um you you get more violent and sexual content and which a lot of it reflects the the time uh, you know uh we get the the american new wave kind of tracks the vietnam war as well so you see a yeah. lot of films that are if not actually you know uh referencing the vietnam war they they have sensibilities that are coming out of uh you know, the, an America that is embroiled in, in this uh, this conflict. So, yeah, that's uh, start, like I said, Scorsese and Coppola are two of the biggest of the American New Wave. Um, Arthur Penn, I think, is the director of um, Bonnie and Clyde. And um, Sam Peckinpah is another big one.
0: The, um, the Heaven's Gate director is Michael Chimino.
1: Yes, Michael Chimino. Yep. So, yeah, a lot of people blame uh, Heaven's Gate for the end of the American New Wave.
0: Yes, uh, thank you, Louis. Um, I I could not have put it better. Even though I could have said everything you just did, because I I knew all that too. <laughs> <laughs> I did not know that, folks. Uh, this, this show is, is 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 as educational for me as it is for our listeners. Um, but we we did find a review for um, the keep. We what was interesting was we couldn't find too many contemporaneous reviews. Um, it was critically. Uh, maligned when it came out but we couldn't really find any exact reviews that said that we, we it was only mostly secondhand information um this anecdote here from the la weekly by michael nordine comes from 2013 um in nordine writes the movie can't always keep its many moving parts in lockstep what with its hinted at mythos that obscures more than it elucidates and its cast of enigmatic characters whose precise dealings with one another are never made entirely clear but it's World War II backdrop, ravishing synth score by Tangerine Dream, and, a, and third-like mysticism make for a poppy but brooding atmosphere. Um, I, that's all
1: one sentence, by the way. Yeah, that's... <laughs>
0: that's
1: yeah, I, I kind of got breathless there by the end of it. Um, yeah, his review sucks. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's why I picked it. Sometimes I pick, you know, I think... We've tried to get the perception of the film, the popular perception of the film of the time, right. if not, I go to reviews like this, but you know sometimes these people have dumb dumb takes uh, and sometimes there's real criticisms of a film, so we can get into the real criticisms, but that right there is an yes. example of the dumb dumb criticisms that this movie received
0: yeah. yeah, I mean, um, I really wanted to like this movie based on the the stills that I was finding when I, when I first, when we were first discussing this, this uh, potential uh, candidate for an episode Um, about halfway in, I still really wanted to like it. Um, But by the end, the the whole message and themes of the movie are are pretty gross and um, override any aesthetic appreciation that I have.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think maybe, the one thing that I agree with uh, Michael Nordine's review is that No, I don't know. I think I I, I disagree with mostly everything <laughs> yeah, fuck that he writes. I actually don't think the movie has a lot of moving parts. Um I don't think the hinted at mythos obscures anything. No, I think it's that, just that stuff's good. Yeah, I think it's interesting and I wish there was more, of course Mm -hmm. um and i don't think that the characters don't make sense they just i I, he's right right when he says enigmatic i'll give him that
0: it's enigmatic but it's not bad um it's not to the movie's detriment i guess i guess a quick rundown of the plot is is like we were saying nazi detachment of wehrmacht meant to defend this keep for uh they they wish they could be on the front lines, but they're they're kind of stuck in this backwater. The the caretakers of the keep in this Romani village uh, warn them that not to stay there. Don't don't you should leave. It's 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 a, it's a cursed area. But of course they don't listen. Um, and then a couple of Nazis try to loot the keep because there are these um, tin crosses everywhere. And when they, when they jar some of them loose, when they pry some of them loose to, to melt them down for what they think is silver, um, this demonic entity named, uh, what's his name? It's, it's, it's actually a cool name. Molasar. Um, yeah. Mo, Radu Molassar. Um, he escapes <laughs> his, he escapes his crypt and he starts killing Nazis left and right. And then th- this of course gets the attention of the SS and, and they're sent in to take over for the incompetence of so the Wehrmacht And, um, of course, once the SS gets to this village, they start brutalizing the, the villagers because they think the villagers are partisans, killing Nazis. This only angers the spirit more. And then Ian McKellen's character, who's a Jewish professor, is brought in to decipher some of the wounds that are revealed in the crypt. And then we are introduced to, <laughs> to uh, who is it, uh, Scott Glenn, who's yep. like, kind of like a, a Jedi character. <laughs> he has like glowing eyes and he has like this glowing staff weapon. It's revealed that he is the, aid the, the like the millennia old um, counterpart to the evil spirit, and and that's kind of where the enigma comes in. Mm-hmm. Like he, it's not really the mythos isn't really explained. He's basically set up as the the good guy, like Jedi Jedi Knight monk warrior to to Molasar's evil sorcerer spirit. Um, but he, he's drawn back to the keep, and then. He falls in love and have, has a brief fling with Ian McKellen's daughter character, Ava. Eventually, the spirit tries to corrupt Ian McKellen's Jewish professor character by making him remove the talisman that will release him from the keep prison. Um, but Ava convinces Ian McKellen not to remove the talisman. And then Scott Klein shows up and has a final showdown with uh, Malasar, who has since killed all the Nazis, and... Um, they destroy each other and they're both sealed away forever and they keep again. That's a basic rundown of what happens.
1: Yeah. That's, that's really it. Um, I can't imagine the three hour long version of this film. Yeah. I don't know what, uh, you know, what, uh, where, what it would fill in. Honestly, I don't know what, Unless they explain more about uh, Molasar and uh, Scott Glenn's character, who is also named yeah. Glenn, uh- yeah, Glenn. Glenn Scott Glenn.
0: <laughs> Glenn. Glenn Scott, Glenn Ross. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's my that's my theory. Like they would just go a little bit more into the, the backstory of, of where Molasar comes from. But who gives a shit?
1: Who cares? It just doesn't make sense. It In a book, great you know, yeah. 400 plus pages. Awesome. Do it, do it up. Uh, that, But not in this movie. I don't really care. I like keeping it enigmatic, you know, just mm-hmm. the moment that we see Scott, Scott Glenn, like there's like these weird lights above his head while he's asleep. He wakes up, you see his weird eyes. He, mm-hmm. he gets up and he, he's in Greece, I think yep. he uh, charters a boat to the Romanian coast And he's on this quest uh, with his his quarterstaff in this this big ass box that he's carrying around uh, until it's revealed that it uh, that has a quarterstaff within it until, you know, in the last two minutes of this movie. But, yeah, it's all it's just I didn't want the puzzle pieces to, you know, fit together. I didn't want anything to be revealed. I just wanted to see. I mean, I wanted to see what was in his box. I thought it was yeah. going to be a sword, but it was well.
0: In the, in the book, it's a sword. Apparently, that's yeah. That's one of the biggest changes. It is a sword. The book.
1: Yeah, but, the quarter staff is fine.
0: Yeah, no, it, it, it's fine. Um, yeah, the the enigmatic mythos really syncs up well with the overall atmosphere. Mm, um, definitely the the tonal atmosphere and the literal atmosphere that we see on screen. It's very misty, which is cool. Um, yeah, th- those are incomplete and simpatico, and. Um, and I guess it's clear by now that Lewis and I do disagree with um, with that criticism. The the plot is fine. Not every movie, especially one as as um, ethereal as this one, has to have like this tightly written, um, character driven uh, narrative. Um, what we do disagree with, and what we do dislike about this movie, is um, basically it's it's politics and it's um, it's thematic meditation on, on violence and victimization.
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, so when we're first introduced to uh, Molasar. Uh, he's just like smoke. He's this weird smoke monster with these glowing red spots on his body. He saves Ava, Ian McKellen's character's daughter. Um, I think their last name is Kuza. Uh, he saves Ava Cusa, uh from being raped by these two Nazis. And he like he explodes their heads, which it's it's not the best effect, but it looks cool. It looks it's, it's fine. Cool. It's slow motion head Nazi head exploding. So I like that. And notably,
0: um, we can get into this in a little bit why it's important, but the, the would-be rapists are SS officers. They're not the normal Wehrmacht um, soldiers.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the, the, the SS, um, uh, what was the name of the battalion, the the Eisen Commandos, which is basically just like a death squad. Um, yeah. They they are really the, the true evil um, outside of, you know, Molasar, this... Uh, demonic sorcerer entity.
0: I guess um, we should give a little bit of historical context for people who, who aren't quite like super World War II nerds or whatever. Um, but basically the Wehrmacht was the regular German army and the, the SS were the special forces of, of um, the German military at the time. Um, and the reason that distinction is important for discussing this movie is As Lewis said, the SS are held up as a uniquely evil branch of the Nazi party, whereas the Wehrmacht are held up as, um, they're they're portrayed as basically honorable, normal soldiers um, who are just following orders. Um, And and that's kind of where this movie gets really distasteful, because that that is very much a Hollywood, I don't want to say a Hollywood myth, but it's very much a Hollywood mentality regarding the German military of world war two at the time, um, that there is this distinction between like normal Nazis and like super Nazis basically.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, uh, the reality folks was, they were all Nazis. Uh, they all, they all wanted the third Reich to succeed. Uh, they all wanted to, uh, yeah. Um, kill Jews and, uh, and just enslave the whole earth more or less. Um,
0: and um and in that that nuance, when it's reserved for different members of the Nazi Party, it's it's kind of offensive to the, the members of German resistance who did um fight back against the, the Nazi occupation of, of their own government. Um because not all Germans in World War II um were Nazis, some some very much both violently and nonviolently violently did resist um, the Nazis in their own country.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, they were they were German communists, German socialists, mm-hmm. uh, who formed you know anti-fascist battalions and such. Um, it's interesting. They even mention uh, at one point uh, th- they mention the Spanish Civil War in this film yep. Uh, yep. because the the Wehrmacht uh, captain uh, Captain War- Vormann. Uh, Captain Goodnazi. Yeah, Captain Good-Nazi. <laughs> he, uh, he mentions to Ian McKellen, Dr. Cousa, he says, uh, you know, I'm on your side. Uh, yeah, Like your son, who, you know, he picks up a picture of Ian McKellen's son, and Ian McKellen tells him the story of fighting in the Spanish Civil War on the Republican side. And then Dr. Uh, or Captain Good-Nazi says, uh, I would have fought on the, the German anti-fascist side as well. But then he doesn't give a reason why he did, and... No,
0: you um, wouldn't. You, you are a
1: fascist. You, right. are. <laughs> you are a fascist. You, I don't. I just, it's a weird character beat, especially since when we first intro- were first introduced to uh, Captain Good Nazi uh, in just, you know, an armored tank going through this romanian village he's talking to the driver of the tank and he's like oh why do you look so sad aren't you happy that uh, the third reich is taking over the world uh, oh, yeah. we're doing so well here and here yeah it's not you know it's not like we're in northern italy or some you know fun place to be uh, but we're we're doing a good service for the third reich so it's like he set up that he loves being a nazi and then later he's yeah. like i wish i was antifa no get the fuck yeah, out of yeah. here
0: um there is one scene near the end where Captain Goodnazi and the SS Commander, um, who hate each other from the beginning, they're having an argument right. um, where they, where they try to depict that nuance a little better. Um, but it, it comes way too late and it's literally just like dumped out through his dialogue, so it's not very well done. but the the dialogue posits that um, he hates himself for what he's doing and he he describes himself as half a man. Um, as a sentimental fool, and that's what the SS officer tells him. He's like, "Oh, you're you're just a sen- this mawkish, sentimental um, asshole who doesn't have like the courage to to do what he thinks is right." In um, that bit of characterization, would have been really good if it was consistent throughout the movie. Um, but it, it it tries to prop itself up at the last minute before the SS uh, commander shoots him. Um, it it kind of it it's really awkwardly shoehorned in right before he literally dies. So I, I didn't buy it. Yeah,
1: I didn't buy it either. Uh, Gabriel Byrne plays the uh, the sergeant, evil Nazi, uh, mm-hmm. and I I just like his accent comes through so often. Uh, yeah. I think he's Irish, or I you know <laughs> it's just it it's like no, it doesn't just I mean, doesn't work. Why did you? He has a very I don't know maybe his like he has very stark features, so maybe that's why they. I don't know. It's it's a weird casting choice.
0: Yeah, it was it was kind of odd. Um, as far as the other actors go, I mean, Ian McKellen was good. He he was just he's pretty much always good. He's always at least serviceable whenever he shows up. I think. Yeah. Um, I liked Scott Glenn because he's he looks like such a fucking weirdo in this movie. <laughs> he does. He looks like this alien. Like, I, I I was reminded of Nick Cage from City of Angels because <laughs> like. <laughs> Cause um, when when he after he hooks up with Ava in this really hilarious sex scene, um, oh yeah, and after she finds out that he he's ba- he basically is an alien, she's like, "Why did you come here? Like, what? Why did you make love to me if, if you're just going to disappear after you destroy this evil spirit?" He's like, "I just wanted to feel something or some or whatever." Yeah, it, he just he's like, like, "I just want to fuck." Just, <laughs> he just. <laughs> i guess he's the fail son of this movie because like he he just wanders around the, the earth for like millennia and he doesn't do anything by his own admission yeah that's he true. just like hangs out and he, he lives in a shitty apartment and he he has a cool samurai staff that he got somewhere and he just hooks up with this girl with no with no attempt to like make it anything other than that so he I guess that's kind of fails onish. Yeah,
1: and he almost fails at his mission, too. Like, at one point, when he's trying to cross yeah. the bridge into the keep, he's surrounded by SS soldiers, and they just shoot him, like, k- just a thousand one. times. Yeah, yeah he, he does kill one. That's when we realize he might be uh, somewhat uh, supernatural. Or it's, it's, it's maybe more obvious that he's supernatural, because, like, he just... Kind of yanks one and he throws him like mm-hmm. 50 feet in the air uh, and then he falls to his death in this uh, this chasm between the keep and the, the village.
0: Well, the Nazis shoot him and he like bleeds flore- like fluorescent green blood. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And it's really and then, and then he just gets up and climbs up the top of the cliff and, and then that's when he confronts Malsar. Um,
1: yeah, at the zero hour, like Elon McKellen had to go into the depths of the keep to get the talisman. So it's this building moment where he's climbing out of the keep, and then Scott Glenn is climbing out of this chasm between the keep yeah. and the village. Um, that was kind, yeah. I mean, that was kind of cool. I like the music in that section. That 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 part of the score was pretty awesome.
0: Yeah, I, I guess we should get to the good shit about this movie because the music is great. Like, I, I I want to go find the soundtrack to this. To this movie and just listen to it because um, like Tangerine Dream is great and there were a couple sequences. There was that sequence you were mentioning, um, the sequence where the two Nazi soldiers um, release Molossar from his from his prison. Um, that had some like really cool building like like droning atmospheric um, just like this this pulsing beat to it. And uh, it was in half slow motion and there was cool lighting and like their their ponchos were whipping around everywhere with the wind and the, the mist. And it, that part was really, really cool.
1: Yeah, that seems really cool, uh, especially when they finally pry off the um, the, the nickel or um, silver crosses and they they pull a section of the wall out and they realize that there's some kind of uh, secret passage Uh, they tie a belt onto one of the nazis legs the other one relays him down into this uh, what we find to be this gigantic chamber that's you know Mm. they 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 do this shot where they just keep pulling the camera keeps pulling back and pulling back and you see the Nazi who's only dangling you know uh, his head out from this hole and that he he's getting smaller he a and smaller yeah he and you can only at one point just see you know his little flashlight and as we get further and further into this blackness, and then finally you see some rock formations, um, it it was it was a cool shot, probably one of the coolest shots uh, of the film. They must mm-hmm. have used miniatures, maybe some matte painting. I'm not sure how they did that shot exactly, um, but it's it's cool. It's worth watching the film for that shot alone.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that whole it. That one of the good things about this movie is. It knows when to hold shots well. Uh yeah. it, knows when it, it knows when it has really good um, iconography and imagery, and it knows to let the camera linger. Um, no, there, there aren't many quick cuts, and like like Lewis was saying, when it pulls back from that flashlight in, in the in the Nazi hanging in there, and it pulls back and it pulls back and this, literally for like twenty seconds, at least if not like longer, it's just this tiny pinprick of light in this utter gigantic void of blackness and the light gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And that was just such a cool effect. And then, um, and then you see this little rock formation, this little like shrine. Uh, it reminded, it reminded me of, um, of new Londo from dark souls one and, uh, the, the profane capital from dark souls three. Um, just very cool little,
1: I allowed him to say that folks. He, uh, <laughs> he was really excited Shambles. too. So I allowed him to say it.
0: That 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 is not the nerdiest reference because at least those games are current. Uh, I'll get yeah. into my I'll get into my nerdier reference later. But um, I really fair. wanted to really wanted to shoehorn that in there. And um, <laughs> yeah, sh- shameful confession: I am a gamer. It's I, I have to admit, uh, Lewis is too. But I don't let him don't want him convince you he isn't.
1: Yeah, I guess we're Whatever. gamer Americans. Gamer
0: Americans. But yeah, the the keep the titular keep is a cool set it's neat it has the it has this cool silver crosses everywhere it has um it has that crypt that we were talking about the village the romani village is pretty cool in the front um there's like that weird eastern orthodox little chapel where the priest lives
1: oh yeah it has a really interesting mural on the outside like just different saints basically and then the interior shot there's the one interior shot um of the altar, a you know, very symmetrical shot with um like torches and another mural inside, I think maybe of Jesus or something. But yeah, that was that was cool. Um the guy who plays the <laughs> the priest is incredible. He's uh his name is Robert uh, prosky he's the antagonist of thief actually he's like oh, the, yeah. he's the mob boss of the film thief uh and uh he looks a lot like uh grandpa munster from the munster yeah. <laughs> Yes, but he's not grandpa munster um although i do think he is robert prosky is also uh to bring everything back to roger corman and joe dante he does mm. play the grandpa munster like character in gremlins 2
0: um, is that the the actor on the show that they're filming?
1: Yeah, the actor okay, on the okay. show of the okay. like late night uh, TV show. Oh um, yeah, yeah, that's 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 Robert Prosky uh, in his in his later years. I think he's deceased now, but yeah, him and him and the um, the Asian cameraman go around making their own right. like documentary series of, right. of Clamp Tower. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, so that's Robert Prosky. He's uh, definitely not romanian and that's probably not his real beard either <laughs> but yes. it's great yeah. um i mean like at the at the end of the day this
0: movie is about like Nazis killing each other and being killed by an evil spirit like so at least superficially that's cool
1: yeah we get to see two Nazis have their head exploded by uh, Molassar, and then the one Nazi who relays down into the crypt when he's pulled out, um, there's only half of him remaining uh, his his legs are remaining the rest of his body is obliterated. so that's kind of yeah. cool in the
0: way the way that the majority of them are killed off on screen um, after after the SS after Captain Bad Nazi kills Captain Good Nazi. Um, he shoots them. He hears uh, a commotion down in the main room of the keep. And so he goes down there and he finds all the rest of them dead. Um, and the way that they're killed at this point, it it was really cool. They're kind of like, they're kind of like burned. Like there's lots of smoke rising off their charred bodies, but they're also kind of turned into like this, this like obsidian, like stone, like they're petrified or something.
1: Yeah. It's cool. There's like one dead person petrified nazi who looks like he's burned into the wall basically and they they keep focusing on him during the scene because that's the one that uh sergeant bad nazi keeps looking at and like he starts yelling and you know he Mm. his uh his his tough guy facade breaks there and uh and then he's i actually was hoping that his his death would be a little more brutal but uh he just has his soul sucked out and then he just like throws him he even holds him up kind of like Bane holds Batman. And I thought he was going to like break him in half or something, but then he just throws him. He just, that was it. So I was, kinda, yeah. I was disappointed by that.
0: Yeah. I mean, it, it did make me think of like Raiders of the Lost Ark when the, when the Nazis open up the ark and they get shocked and like their souls get sucked out at that point. Um, I don't know if that was a conscious like thought on, on the part of man, but, um,
1: yeah, I don't know. It's a good question. Speaking of, uh, Tangential uh, influences here. I was wondering though if um, the producers of X Men the two thousand mm. movies picked Ian McKellen because of this movie because he plays a a Jewish man who is in yeah, a concentration like, camp like Magneto do- is. Yeah, he's he's kind of like Magneto in that. That's good. Um, yeah, yeah I, course, and then and then Scott, Scott Glenn. Glenn, yeah, playing Stick in Daredevil because he, has he plays with a stick, stick in this one. <laughs>
0: And also, the producers of the X Men series, they, the M- Molossar's final form a, as he kills more Nazis and becomes more corporeal, he looks very much like the shitty version of Apocalypse.
1: Yeah, that's... The, the Oscar Isaac. Um, <laughs>
0: yeah. And that that the Molossar monster is a real shame. He, my my reaction to him kind of mirrors my reaction to this movie. Super cool setup. Super cool concept. Um, very cool production right up until like it's finalized. Uh, and then it just kind of falls apart and I kind of don't care anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause he, he kind of metamorphizes from an in, incorporeal spirit and then he starts killing some Nazis and he's kind of solid, but he's mostly smoke and then he kills more Nazis and he, he gains more bones and flesh and he's kind of half put together and he looks really cool. And then when he kills all of them and he's fully corporeal, i I like the concept like i like i like the silhouette and I like what they were going for,
1: but he he just looks dumb, yeah, I was saying to Nick before we recorded that he looked like one of the putty monsters from power rangers mm, yep. but like if he was into b d s m basically <laughs> yeah um, the the nazi
0: b d s m uh silly putty power ranger putty putty patrol putty patrol' a thing they, they <laughs>
1: yeah he he looks just awful in his final form. Uh, although I do like the glowing eyes. I mean, they, they keep that throughout. Um, Mm -hmm. and I think he's, he's interesting from like the neck up in his final form, but everything else is pretty, pretty weak sauce.
0: Yeah. And in the idea of like an evil spirit, that's uniquely more evil than the Nazi SS is a real cop out, um, thematically. Because they they kind of make allusion to that um, when when Malasar kills the SS ca- commander he's like the SS commander's like who are you like what are you and he's like I'm you like you you did this you released I'm the evil that you represent and that's just total bullshit because um, the mo- the movie does play into that unfortunate Hollywood tendency of like yeah Nazis are bad but like this thing that we're making up is worse.
1: Yeah, and also it posits that um, if you are a victim of, like, violence and oppression, yeah. uh, you become just as bad as the victimizer if you yeah. are also interested in taking and exacting violence yeah. on and the person who oppresses you. Um, so,
0: Yeah, beca- because um, the Ian Kellen character, Molestar strikes a bargain with him. He's like, if you remove the protective talisman from my tomb, I can leave the keep and go and kill all the Nazis for you. And that's, as the movie goes on, that's presented as Ian McKellen becoming more and more deranged and and becoming the very thing that, that terrorized the Jews. And that's um, that's a shitty and privileged perspective on violence versus nonviolence and um, very, very much a Hollywood, like, whitewashing of history, too.
1: Yeah, it was disappointing because at first... You know, when uh Molassar is in his uh smoke and then when he's in his uh bone and, and sinew phase, uh, he does he speaks to Ian McAllen, and he says, uh who who's doing this to my people? So he's at first you, you think, Oh, like um this character actually cares about the plight of like the jewish people or mm-hmm. the romani, the romani or, are, you know. or or people who are being oppressed by the nazis um but uh then we learn that it's just this evil sorcerer demon entity that just wants to escape and is tricking ian mckellen by mm-hmm. you know um just using using his um his status as uh something that can you know, be be manipulated, basically.
0: And I guess that's what I was getting at when I said like it this movie's like creation of a more mythical evil than Nazis is so bullshit, because that's the only way that it can condemn basically like Jewish or or like victimized resistance to violence. It it has to create this like supernatural consequence of fighting back against violence. Otherwise like Ian McKellen's right to like want to kill Nazis like that's not bad that that is correct and the only way that this movie can thematically and um literally show that that's wrong is to create like a demonic consequence for that and and that doesn't exist in real life because resisting resisting fascists is good
1: and right it is good and right folks and the main conceit of this film is bullshit uh <laughs> yeah, yeah that's keep that away from us. <laughs> <laughs> we liked what else did we like about this movie?
0: I mean <laughs> I I have a very convoluted uh headcanon, if you will, um justification for the for the this movie's place in the Star Wars timeline. <laughs>
1: You Which know what? We're gonna go into that last though. That'll be what I'll, we end on.
0: I'm, I'm, I'm teasing it. I'm, I'm, I'm giving a teaser <laughs> to keep people strung along. But we'll, we'll get
1: there. Um, yeah. If you want to hear Nick's head you have to listen to the part where we talk about workers of note. The best. That's just part. how it. That's just yeah. how it works, guys.
0: But yeah, no. The I mean the whole. I'm, I'm almost. I'm a sucker for like, cool, unique, atmospheric, um, set design, production design, um, framing aesthetics I so I I I was enchanted at least on a superficial level from beginning to end
1: yeah so was I and uh, as we mentioned before Tangerine Dream had a big part of that Mm -hmm. Um, so you know kudos to them for the score Um, kudos to music editor Bob Badami uh, assistant music editor Gordon Greenaway and then um, big shout out and kudos to this Individual, I uh, I couldn't believe that this person had anything to do with this movie when I saw her name. Um, Mm. But there was an uncredited score mixer, Mm. and uh, it was done, if we are to believe uh, Internet Movie Database, by uh, the avant-garde musician, performance artist, and filmmaker Laurie Anderson. which Who's I that? just it, am I supposed so, to be impressed like is this uh yeah she's a big deal for okay. sure okay. uh in the 70s 80s uh, and and through through now I mean she's she's a big deal um she uh had um her most famous album is called Big Science I believe Okay. she has a song on that album that's called Oh Superman it's like this nine-minute-long song um, that uh, is very avant-garde and uh, synth-heavy and such, um, but yeah, she's had um, a big uh, just presence in like the the New York um, uh, scene basically uh, for for decades. Uh, she made a film a few years ago called Heart of a Dog um, about her dog that she loved Hmm. that died Hmm. Uh, but it's also autobiographical it's about her life and such yeah Uh, she was and you know I don't want to stress this because it's uh, just not as important as her contributions but she was also married to Lou Reed up until his death okay Um, but yeah she's uh, she's an incredible artist all around and it's crazy that she just was the uncredited score mixer for this movie
0: Well, um, if nothing else, I have someone new to look into from this movie. And as an uncredited credit, um, we definitely want to stress her name here. Uh, Some other some other workers of note that we want to point out. um, The standby contact lens optician, uh, Richard Glass. That's actually cool because I yeah, because Scott Glenn had some crazy weird eyes in this whole movie.
1: Yeah, yeah, the the most interesting part which I assume was done by CGI, however, was like when he uh, puts the talisman in his quarterstaff, his eyes have like a grid pattern on mm, them. Yeah. Now, I assume Richard Glass didn't do that. That was special effects. But throughout, uh, Scott Glenn does have like purplish eyes. So I assume yeah. those are contact lenses that Richard Glass made. Um Richard Glass is apparently a very prolific dude. Uh, I looked at his IMDb credits. He's still the standby contact lens optician for movies. I like that his last uh, name is Glass too. That's kind of cool. uh, right? It's just like yeah, from birth he knew what he was going to be. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he, he works on a lot of Marvel movies now. He did a bunch of uh, contact lenses for like Guardians of the Galaxy and mm. just the majority of uh, Marvel films it looks like. And really just most action films that need some kind of contact lens i don't know it's it's a strange credit that's why i put it there
0: <laughs> no that that's pretty that's pretty great that's wonderful that's like such a specific thing um okay so th- this is another one you're gonna have to tell me who this is um and balal who was credited as illustrator for malasar
1: yeah i assume he did um like production design um production Con- concept arm, illustrations maybe. yeah exactly um for for malasar Uh, But yeah, so he is a comic book artist, uh, most famous for the Nicopol Trilogy, which is a three-book series that he started in 1980. Uh, Mm. His series, that work and then his previous works had gone on to influence um, Ridley Scott's Blade Runner, the the aesthetics of the film, actually. Okay. Okay. Yeah. um, So... Again, when I saw his name, I was like, "What the fuck? How did how were these people at all associated with this movie?" Um, but he, I think, is from like Eastern Europe, so I guess maybe while they were filming, someone on the set was aware of his his art and was right. like, "Hey, this guy can draw some cool shit for us."
0: And I mean, to to the movie's credit, um, all of the things we liked about the movie have this incredible talent behind it. The music, the the contact lenses the, the <laughs> like the the visuals of production design have the have these incredible people behind them so it, it makes sense
1: after seeing that laurie anderson had something to do with this movie then to see anki balal i was i was just yeah this this movie doesn't deserve them folks <laughs>
0: um to round out our, our work as a note we have uh, creature designer nick Mealy, and um uncredited an uncredited group um that are that are listed as creature crew which i assume is uh, manipulating the the puppetry and the effects and these in the in the, the prosthetics and everything we have denise horsham bob Keane, christine overs richard padbury and david white um so again uncredited crew always gets a very special mention on each episode we do so that's them for this
1: one. Yeah, and I also assume that that might um, be referenced to an unused um, puppet that was you that they created for this movie. I was reading a bit about gotcha. the production, and they did make some kind of puppet or animatronic for this movie that was unused in the in the final edit. So um, maybe they had something to do with that, and maybe that's why they're uncredited. Basically, yeah. I don't know, folks, but uh, like we said, most of the creature stuff's cool. And even though the final form might not be what we like, uh, it might be what some other people like, and there's a lot of work that goes into it. So kudos to that.
0: And um, importantly, it was cool in concept. I, I appreciated what they were going for. It just didn't really happen on screen. Yeah, definitely. So, Lewis, who would you recommend The Keep to? <laughs>
1: uh so my broke recommendation is world war ii uh film fans uh if sure. you like world war ii on film uh if you like are obsessed with uh i don't know the nazi involvement in romania this is the film for you but also get a better hobby <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah
0: or i guess like nazi like mysticism that was a strong like undercurrent of this movie because they were a bunch of weird yeah. freaks that were into that bullshit
1: yeah, definitely. So I guess like if you like the original Hellboy, you might also mm-hmm. like this. Yeah, uh, would have been a good Hellboy enemy. Yeah, definitely. I'm sure Mike Mignola is a big fan of this film. <laughs> <laughs> Nick, who would you recommend this film to? Well,
0: you gotta. We'll get there. We we need your woke recommendation. What was your oh, it's wo- okay, woke woke fine.
1: Recommendation? My woke recommendation is uh, Michael Mann completists. Again, uh, get a better hobby. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was happy to see this film for that reason alone. Okay. I think the only films of his I haven't seen are Ali. And then um, I haven't seen Miami Vice. Okay. And until yesterday, I hadn't seen The Keep either. So uh, it was cool to round that out. But uh yeah, start with a bunch of other films, guys, before you start with this one. Yeah. Start, Maybe don't even start in Chronological Order because this is number two. <laughs> so
0: <laughs> Go in reverse Chronological Order. From yeah, Michael sure.
1: Go in reverse. You'll have to watch Black Hat first, which I think is great, but a lot of people didn't.
0: That's because you're a Marvel show and you just want to stand any, any other movies that their stars <laughs> appear in
1: yeah i just it was believable that thor uh moonlighted as a uh as a programmer to me so Interesting. Shout out.
0: <laughs> um so yeah all right I, now
1: now <laughs> is it time
0: for your now recommendation the, the real reason the bespoke reason that anyone should watch this movie is um so in star wars episode four a new hope um the rebel base is on yavin four of course um but they the rebels had um, taken over this ancient temple on the jungle moon of Yavin 4. Um, if you're at all into the defunct legends expanded universe of the Star Wars uh, mythos. Get
1: a better hobby. Get a better <laughs> hobby. <laughs> no, no. This is the best hobby. You will know, <laughs> of
0: course, that that temple is one of the Masasi temples um, from the ancient Masasi people that lived on Yavin for millennia before the conflict, the Galactic Civil Civil War between the Empire and the Rebels. The Masasi people were genetically created by dark side Sith people, Sith users to be their servants. And um, the infamous Dark Jedi Exar Kun had um, his spirit infests the Masasi Temple 4,000 years before the Rebels even show up. So I interpreted this movie as, um, you, you could choose to interpret it as I did, um, of Exar who is, uh, um, how he, how he, his body is destroyed and how he infects the Massey Temple.
1: Yeah. So I'm the film guy and Nick is the Star Wars, uh, expanded now legends (laughs) universe guy. I'm, I'm the
0: one that keeps people coming back to this film podcast.
1: Yes. Uh, and you know, at this point I'm not sure if we're going to keep doing this podcast. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh yeah. Um I No, I, we are folks. We're gonna sure. keep doing it, yeah. We we're gonna find a few more gems in this in this series, definitely, that we can that, that don't have Nazis in them.
1: Yeah. Um this might be our only Nazi fair for a while, uh, because we don't really know a lot about history and we expended all of our historical knowledge in this episode uh so join us next week for uh, some more inane garbage
0: yeah we'll uh, we'll see you next time
1: bye folks